So uh, hope you are all here and ready to uh, be convicted of sin, eager to be the godly men and women that God has called you to be, no matter your age, young and old. Uh, this morning's message is for you, and we're taking a, another break from our regular study in 1 Samuel, and we're going to be refreshing our poor memories and sometimes our obstinate memories where we choose to put out of mind those things which we are obligated to uh, be following and obeying from God's Word, and we are all guilty of that. But we're going to specifically have some instructions for parents as a byproduct in providing context. We're going to be talking to wives and husbands as well. So why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, a very important and prominent city in the Roman Empire back in the day. You can even go and visit the ruins of Ephesus today, and they are just that ruins. But we look at this book, Ephesians, and the first three chapters give us the doctrine, and the last three chapters of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, focus more on the practical implementation of those doctrinal truths. And we have to remember whenever we go to word, the Word of God and we are taught doctrine and some people their eyes glaze over, some of you your eyes roll back in the back of your head and you go to sleep when someone says doctrine. Doctrine is not given in Scripture just for us to have some head knowledge, just to know certain facts and terminology and some vocabulary that other people don't know. Uh, it is for us to be shaped in how we live, and I say this over and over and over again to our youth, even as we study the book of Revelation and our youth study on Wednesday nights. Uh, <clears throat> even though we are not going to be on this earth uh, during the tribulation, as we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture, we'll be up in heaven, but the Word of God, even then, is supposed to shape who we are to live and how we are to live today. Looking at your Bibles, backing up just a little bit, to chapter 4. I want you to note the key uh, expression. In chapter 4, verse 1, uh, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, imploring them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then again in verse 17, walk no longer. So he's imploring them to walk this way, but no longer walk that way. See the contrast, the way you used to walk, the way you walk now, the way you lived your life before, the way you live your life now. And that's the basic distinction being drawn even as the book unfolds. In chapter 5, in verse 15, <clears throat> there's a therefore statement, which is there for a reason to remind you of what you've just read in chapters 1, 2, 3, and up to through verse 14 in chapter 5. Be careful how you walk. So walk this way, don't walk that way, and again, be careful how you walk. Again, the emphasis on your behavior, your conduct, uh, the daily, everyday things of life that are adjusted and changed as we become believers. Some ways, uh, some things are changed in greater ways than others. But in every way now, as a new creation in Christ, our life is different than it was. Be careful how you walk. And then look at verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit at the end of verse 18. One can be filled with alcohol 
and alter their state of mind, and it changes their behavior. To be filled with the Spirit also controls and dominates and changes your behavior as a believer. You cannot change your behavior to become a believer. Uh, as becoming a believer, you are given the Holy Spirit and your behavior changes your daily priorities, your choices, your walk, your conduct, and your behavior throughout this life is new. You are a new creation in Christ. And when you walk as God would have you walk, when you walk as the wise and not as the unwise, when you walk in the new life you have been given, worthy of the calling with which you've been called, as Ephesians for one again said, walk carefully in a manner worthy. There will be certain things that characterize you. You'll be controlled by the Spirit of God. So that command to be careful how you walk again in verse 15, be careful how you walk is the command. And to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18, they're basically telling you the same thing. Be careful how you walk, be filled with the Spirit. When you walk as you're supposed to walk in the new life, you're walking under the control of the Spirit of God. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Contrasted with an unsaved person who in drunkenness is controlled by their, their drink and the power of that drink and that drunken lifestyle. Believers are to be filled. We are controlled. We are living according to the direction of the Spirit of God. And what a privilege and honor that is to be given that great resource, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Through Paul, the Lord gave five participles, grammatical terms, that modify that command that we have in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. And in Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21, we have those. And concluding there in verse 21, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Again, usually in English, our words, these participles, that end in ing, speaking, singing, making, giving, always giving, giving thanks, be, being subject in verse 21. I would give you the idea. You might even have that in the margin of your Bible as I do. Then there are the evidences that you are being subject, that you are being filled with the Spirit in those verses immediately following, verses 22, even through verse 9 of chapter 6. Displaying submission, each one. By the order of your life. Now, not everything is included here, not every area of life, but even First Peter, he talks about believers who are to be under control, under the control of the governing authorities, submission to the governing authorities. And Romans 13 even expands upon that. But Paul doesn't talk about that in this context here, in Ephesians 5 and into chapter 6. He picks out three key things that we have to do that have to do with the home life and things arranged around the home specifically, our relationships, <clears throat> the husband-wife relationship, the children-parent relationship as we'll have as our focus, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 this morning, and of course the slave-master relationship that continues on in chapter 6, verses 5 and following. As we see in Ephesians 5, we are given instructions to the wives, and then to the husbands. And it's in that same order in 1 Peter 3, ladies first. The first person who manifests that they are under the control of the Holy Spirit by their willing and readiness to be submissive is the wife. 
Ephesians 5, 21, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ and then flows into the instructions to the wife. The desire to honor Christ, to please Christ, to function according to His will means that we will function submissively, each one in our role, the wife to the husband, the husband to Christ, children to their parents, slaves to their master. We each have a responsibility to be submissive to the proper authorities that God has placed over us. So he begins addressing the wives. The person is to be submissive, and he addresses those who are, have that delegated authority in the relationship. Wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands. And then again, Paul addresses the husband's responsibility to love your wives as Christ loved the church in verse 25 and gave himself up for her. Paul uh, continues on in chapter 6 and verse 1. We're going to talk about the children. Obey your parents. And then the fathers in verse 4. Do not provoke your children. Very clear commands given to each person that is to constitute the family. And then Paul writes about slaves in verse 5. Being obedient to your masters, your fleshly authority, while reminding the masters in chapter 6, verse 9, of their equal standing before their shared heavenly master. And biblically, there is that constant balance in all relationships. I want you to note that any individual's divine calling in each of these relationships does not depend on the other's behavior. You look at the instruction to the wives, you may have an ungodly or unbelieving husband, but except in those rare occasions they, where he may require you to sin, uh, you to do something that is in direct conflict with the Word of God, of course you can't do that, but you obey your husband. And husbands, you are to love your wives. You may have an ungodly or unbelieving wife, but you still love your wife. See, it doesn't depend upon the other person's behavior or how good they are, and then I'll love them. If they're good enough, I'll respect them. The same with the children. Obey your parents in chapter 6, verse 1. There is no exception. And then in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children. There's no exception for how difficult or how easy that child might be to raise or to rear. Chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, the instructed here, again, the wives to be submissive, but then in a longer expression, verse 25 through verse 32, a bit longer section, Paul writes to the husbands and their responsibility to exercise godly headship for their wife and for their children. And this is all summarized in verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects or fears her husband. These uh, things <clears throat> are important for us. And uh, the two, husband and wife, have become one flesh in the marriage relationship. And the wife, of course, the instruction there. Uh, most grammatical commentaries pretty good and make note of the word respect there in verse 33 is probably too soft of a word it's the same exact word as you have translated fear in verse 21 uh, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ now we don't walk around fearful of Christ uh, but the wife is to see that she fears her husband not in trembling that everything he says to me I'm afraid about is just living in fear, shaking, trembling. 
any more than she would in the fear of Christ. In verse 21, husbands also functioning in the fear of Christ. Wives there are responsible to do everything with the same fear as they would have in the fear of Christ, to show that proper fear and respect, to desire to honor, desire to please Him and honor Him, uh, to obey their husbands in everything, in every way. Uh, the same reverential respect out of a desire to please God and honor Him in turn that the believer is to live. So also the husband is to love his wife even as himself, as Christ loved the church, just as verse Verses 25 and following presents, and that is a challenge for us as husbands, is it not? To die to self, to live for our wives is a difficult thing, uh, very hard to do. Paul's letter continues then in chapter 6 to address the children in verses 1 through 3, and then in verse 4 to specifically address the father and what he is not to do. In Paul's discussion here, the emphasis is placed in verses 1 through 3 to talk about the children, and again, just one verse for the parents. And then he'll talk about the slaves being obedient, verses 5 through 8, and then the masters, again, one more verse. In Ephesians 5, the wife's instruction is a bit shorter, husband's is a bit longer. In contrast, flip side of that, you look at 1 Peter 3, the instruction of the wife is longer, and the instruction of the husband is a bit shorter. And why do I highlight the length of instruction? Well, some commentators make a big deal out of the length of instruction to the husbands in Ephesians 5, being longer here in verses 25 through 32. It must be more important for the husband, right? Well, God's word is equally important for both the husband and the wife. The Spirit of God directed Peter in writing his account, just as the Spirit of God directed Paul in writing his account here in Ephesians. So the point is that both the husband and the wife are to be careful how they walk. We saw that again. Back in chapter 5 and verse 15, be careful how you walk because of your relationship to the Lord. You are going to give an account for how you function in your family relationships, uh, given an account to the Lord. How careful were you in your walk to do what He would have you do? Now, there's another letter that Paul wrote, Colossians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There's three letters written by Paul during about the same Roman imprisonment uh, that we have recorded historically at the end of the book of Acts. But in Colossians 3, 18, why don't you turn over there for a moment with me if you would. We read, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's what is fitting. That's what is right. This is God-ordained. Husbands, love your wives. And that is elaborated as fitting, right, and also God-ordained. Here we just have one verse on each. Wives, verse 18, husbands, in verse 19. Then we have in verse 20 and 21, the children and the father. Again, one verse each. Children, Colossians 3, verse 20. Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And that's elaborated a little bit as we'll look at this morning in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. But here in uh, Colossians, you have it just be obedient to your parents. And that includes the father and the mother. The children are to be submissive to their parents in a few things, in a couple things, when they feel like it. When does a child ever feel like being obedient? In all things. 
be obedient to your parents. This is what pleases the Lord. Again, with the exception being sin. Uh, we would not command our children to sin. And back in Ephesians, uh, Paul will elaborate under the direction of the Spirit. And on the children, he'll have three verses as we have it, just one for the Father. And you take God's Word as a whole, even as we look at each of these passages and begin to get a good picture of what God expects of your family life to be. Now, children, here in Colossians, again, we're not talking about an infant or even a toddler because children that young do not have the ability to reason and respond. Uh, they do react, but uh, they do not react or respond out of reason. Uh, infants, toddlers, they still require the administration of age-appropriate correction and discipline early in life because they can learn early in life. <clears throat> they do not yet understand. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. They really don't comprehend this. As parents here today can testify, there is no reasoning with that infant or toddler, as I mentioned. So Paul is addressing the children who are most likely of elementary age and above, maybe kindergarten, first grade and older, five, six years old and older, all the way up through those adolescent years. Uh, when they can be held accountable for their actions, their decisions, because they can reason, they can think through these things. And we have continuing in Colossians 3, Fathers, verse 21, Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. A reminder to the fathers, you have the ultimate responsibility in the home. It doesn't say in verse 21, fathers and mothers, it says fathers. In your leadership, in your, the leadership of your wife, in the leadership of your children's mother, in the leadership of the children themselves, in your own self-discipline as you walk with the Lord, you have that responsibility in the home. And you'll note, children, be obedient to your parents. We're going to have the same instruction in Ephesians, which includes both husbands and wives, husbands and wives, but again, ultimately, the father is responsible for his home, his wife, the children. Again, verse 21 specifically addresses the fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they do not lose heart. Now, though fathers have primary responsibility, mothers have a great role in disciplining their children. Does anybody else like me ever hear those dreaded words, son, go to my bedroom or go to your father's bedroom and wait until your father comes home. Anybody else get that? Am I the only one? Yeah, there you go. That's a brave soul right there, young man. <clears throat> Kindred spirits, you and me. That surely was not the consequence of my own sinful soul. But those were indeed dreaded words. You knew you had reached the end of your mother's ability to deal with your rebellion that day. And you might have just come home from school at 3.30, and Dad's coming home at 5, and it's already enough. Go to, your, go to your father's room and wait for him to come home. You knew you were in a bad way, because when your father's name was invoked, you knew that he would ultimately deal with your rebellion, as he was ultimately responsible for order in the home, as it was even in our home. Now, my mom would certainly address many discipline issues in the absence of my father, he had to work, mom, uh, rearing us at home. But it was my rebelliously thick skull 
And when that just was not registering mom's correction, well, you go wait in your father's bedroom until he comes home, that would instantly get my attention. Instantaneously, I would straight up and go, whoop, found the boundary, stepped over it, but it was too late because my parents, as I'll encourage you parents of young ones today, you cannot go back on your promises. Don't make threats, but if you make promises, follow through. And when mom said go, boy, you knew what was coming. Now, I'm making the most of my time waiting for dad to come home in my vast elementary wisdom. I might try to make sure dad heard my side and explain to my father that my mom hadn't quite given him all the facts. Wait a minute, she left something out here. Somebody else is to blame too. Make sure that Michelle or Jesse... Uh, Todd, my siblings, make sure they get spanked too. No, my father would remind me, even as he did every time previously, that I didn't have any ground upon which to defend myself. And my mother was right, even when she was wrong. Seeing the paddler belt in my father's hand, even as a five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten-year-old, You see, I was a very rebellious child. My thick skull required an extended period of discipline. Either way, seeing that instrument, that board of education, as my father liked to call it, uh, was great. It's a one-by-four piece of pine that he had cut. I don't know, maybe the butt part was this. had a grip on that thing. We split it on my back end one time, bony rear end. But seeing him hold that board of education was not the time to argue with Dad. The point was, you obey your mother, period. If you don't, you're going to be disciplined by me. To which, yes, sir, was the only appropriate and proper response. And, of course, before any discipline was meted out, weeping and gnashing of teeth would begin before even turning around and presenting my bottom for that close encounter with the fine grain of the pine board or the leather belt. Again, all that to say, it simplifies things in the home. Dads, fathers, when you step in and confirm for the children that dad and mom are united. Parents may later discuss this child's issues and make adjustments to how things are done in the home, with mom and dad both being on the same page. Just that discipline approach. But again, dads, you are ultimately responsible for the literal rearing of your children. Step up. Be a man. This is the way. And that's free. No extra charge for that. Now, the rearing of children looks different at each age. You'll reach a point where it becomes somewhat difficult to spank your teenager. It would be difficult for me to wrangle my 17-year-old at this point. I'm pretty sure he could flip me like I did at some point with my dad wrestling in the living room floor onto his back. Uh, you just not going to work. But even teenagers living in your home remain responsible to obey their parents. Boundaries and the ability to make responsible choices should change over time. Uh, you don't give the keys to your 10-year-old and say, have a good evening. But to your 16, 17-year-old, you give them the keys and you have responsible responsibilities and boundaries that they need to follow with those responsibilities. They may not be able to stay out past 10 o'clock on a date, 
but they may very well be able to stay out later for church or other group functions. Again, boundaries with reasons. And when the proverbial why this but not that questions arise, fathers, you had better be ready with that well-reasoned answer. Think through what you have determined to be those boundaries. It cannot be just because I said so. Remind them that they are welcome to establish their own home with their own rules, that they get to sleep inside under your good graces. My kids are smiling because I use that line often. I love you, son. I'll let you sleep inside tonight. But again, as long as they sleep in your home under your good graces, they are responsible and accountable to obey your rules. And you had better have rules. They are welcome to not necessarily sleep in or eat from your home. They can pack up. They can move out. They can get married. Join the army, whatever. That's their decision, age 18, 19, whatever of age they can be. Uh, they don't have to obey these rules when uh, they establish their own home. They can establish different rules. And yet you pray as a parent that maybe they'll see the wisdom in some of your rules and establish the same ones. But even as teenagers, they remain obligated to the boundaries and the authority of your home to do as you decide, parents, moms, dads, as long as they are living in your home. And we come back to Ephesians chapter 6. All that is a bit of an introduction. Verse 1. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then again in verse 4, it'll be, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Again, the ultimate responsibility for the condition of the home rests with the father. That was made clear in Ephesians 5, verse 22. Following, again, ultimately, the Father's in charge of the home, and that is God's perspective, whether we like it or not. Now, in both direct and in subtle opposition to God's Word, the world keeps pushing in, encroaching overtly and covertly. And over time, the devil's world system works to conform the church and shape believers to be more like him instead of being transformed to be more like Christ. A wife chooses to rebel against her husband's authority over and responsibility for the home and may simply choose to stop attending their church, and, and yet the husband remains responsible. A husband chooses to rebel against Christ's authority over and responsibility for the home's headship and may simply choose to allow or abrogate the home's headship to his wife and let her attempt to go at the wheel, and yet the wife remains responsible to not take on that responsibility, though her husband is neglecting those responsibilities. In verse 25, again, remember in chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. The responsibility does not change even when the wife does not function as she should. And so the wife remains responsible to function in a home life as God has ordained, even when the husband does not function as he should. So verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Very straightforward to the point of his divine will for children, including both the husband and the wife. Obey your parents, the father and the mother, as they share authority over and responsibility for the children. You obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And why are they to obey the parents? Because there is an even higher level of accountability that we have as believers in Christ 
uh, to our Lord. Keep in mind, Paul is writing to believers back in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 1, who did he address? An apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, To those who had been set apart by God for himself there in Ephesus. And then in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ to be a faithful parent. He has blessed you. And as believers, we've been blessed with all that is needful from heaven itself, from our Father's hand, to function in a godly manner as fathers and mothers and children, and later on, masters and slaves. There's an ongoing responsibility for which each one is accountable in their own way. And just because one neglects their responsibility does not allow the other to pick up those neglected responsibilities, whether it be from the husband's neglect or the wife's neglect of their responsibilities in the home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And obey here is a synonymous term with subject yourself. You are under the authority of someone else. Some writers and uh, some of their commentaries are good in most places. They get to Ephesians 6.1 and they want to make a distinction from wives who are to be subject to their husbands in verses 22 through 24 of chapter 5, implying that obedience has no part of their responsibility. The wives are not to be obedient. There's no call there. In 1 Peter 3 verse 5, Peter uses Sarah as an example. Just listen, in this way in former times the holy women also, again those set apart by God for himself, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive. And this is the same idea that Paul uses for the wives being submissive in Ephesians 5. And then you look at the explanation in 1 Peter 3 then, the next verse that Peter gives in verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Oh, there's that word. I have to obey him? Here we have both the submissiveness and the obedience. They are used interchangeably, synonymously. Just because Paul uses the word obey here in verse 1 of chapter 6, For children and the word subject for the wives does not change the fact that God's directive is that submission is lived out through obedience. Submission is lived out through obedience. Children to parents, wives to husbands, husbands to Christ. There are responsibilities for each one to be submissive through obedience. One commentator in particular uses the Greek text to make his argument. He says, you want to be careful. It tells the wife to be submissive. It doesn't tell her to obey. It doesn't really explain how you are submissive if you are not obedient. But he makes the point that there is a distinction in the words there, and they are, but very synonymous in terms. He fails to see the relationship between submission and obedience, even as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3 of Sarah. She was submissive, so she obeyed. And in her obedience, she showed her submissiveness. And so here we have the connection here, even with children. Obey your parents. Submit to your parents, even as we had back in chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And how then are we supposed to be subject to one another? Wives to husbands, husbands to Christ, children to their parents. Obey your parents because you are to be submissive to your parents. That's what God has established. That's the order that God has established. And this continues even after you establish your own home. 
when the husband and wife now primarily responsible for each other instead of their parents, instead of submitting to and obeying their parents, they still honor their parents and show respect to them. I want to look back at the Old Testament just in some uh, good proverbs that Solomon laid out in how we are to live out uh, this submission, specifically children. Why don't you turn back to Proverbs? Let's start in chapter 1 and just follow along as we read just about obedience and how children are to be submissive to their parents. Uh, what about children who are old enough to understand the instruction? They're taught over time from a swat on the diaper through reasoned and rational discussions as young adults. Again, these book of, uh, this book of Proverbs addresses those who are at least able to read and understand God's Word and would encourage you to use God's Word to shape your children's minds, to shape your mind as well. Read it on a daily basis. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And very simply, noting that both parents, father and mother, have that shared authority in the home over the children. Drop down to verse 9. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Be careful who you are listening to. Instead, children, listen to your parents. Over in chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So we want to get true wisdom, true understanding from God. This is contrary to the world's foolishness, uh, fabricates children's rights movements, which are not built out of the Word of God. Parents, that's just an area where you and I as believers are going to be out of step with the world. And it is a good thing to be out of step with the world. Beware when the world speaks well of you. Stand upon the Word of God Instead, we have to be careful that we don't try to press ourselves into the world's mold. That's just superficial. We want to not be molded on the outside. That's just external. We want to be transformed from the heart. Turn over to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, listen, he said in chapter 1. And here he says, remember. Do not forget if you're... A child is forgetful, pick up some kind of tool, help them remember. We're all forgetful. We need something uh, to be reminded on a regular basis. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. We'll see again that promise in Ephesians 6. Continuing in Proverbs 3, verse 3, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Fathers, mothers, we must be modeling this godliness in our homes. The father and mother having authority over the children, the authority of the father over the whole household, including the mother, and then over the children who are to be responsive to both parents. The children ought to see your example of obedience 
in the father to Christ, mother to father. Father says, I better obey my mother. Well, as well as him, again, these principles will be seen in Ephesians 6. Continuing once again in Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Give these instructions to your children. If you have no children, I want to re-engage your minds. If you're grandparents or you have not yet uh, had children, if you're still young and planning to do so, uh, set these things in your mind today before you become parents. Or even as grandparents, uh, you will know better how to pray for your children and your grandchildren uh, as you understand God's word afresh even today. Continuing in Proverbs 3, verse 11, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. We see once again the final responsibility in the home for reproving and correcting children is laid at the feet of the father. And we see God carrying out his directives in the home through the father and then on through the mother to the children. Leaving Proverbs, as you come back to the New Testament, stop in the book of Hosea, chapter 14. Hosea 14. There's no bonus points for finding it. But turning your Bibles to Hosea 14. Verse 9, the last verse in this small book towards the end of your Old Testament. Hosea 14, verse 9 reads, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. We're talking about the directives of God as we see them in God's word. The ways of the Lord are right, even though the world hates them calls them intolerant, calls them mean, calls them oppressive. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressions, transgressors will stumble in them. We clearly read, we can clearly understand God's directives for the home, and we can clearly see why modern culture is being driven to judgment as fathers and mothers. They rebel against God's word. They do not see the ways of the Lord is right. Ending up so confused as to why this whole family thing isn't exactly working out. Believing fathers and mothers, if we do not, in our Christian homes, hold to these unpopular, unpopular yet clear directives to wives, husbands, and their children, then your home will end up in the same confused chaos as the world's families. We must be careful to obey all of our Lord's commands, to order our homes and our relationships based on God's Word. So what are your priorities, parents? What are you doing when it comes to your husband-wife relationship? Don't just give up. God's Word has the answers. What are you doing when it comes to your parent-child relationships? Again, don't give up. His word has answers. Remember, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, that the basic sinful human nature of man does not change. We are no more wicked today than in the days of Noah or the days of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and their families. 
or even in the end times. The same wickedness lies within each and every one of us. What holds us back is the restraint of the Holy Spirit and the governing authorities that holds up righteousness. And when governing authorities fail to do that, all sorts of wickedness is unleashed that is already retained in the heart of sinful man. From Adam, Noah, Abraham, Solomon, Hosea, or even as we're studying this morning, Paul, we see the same instruction over millennia, spanning both the Old and New Testaments. So the whole Word of God is good for you, for your parenting. On your way back to Ephesians, stop in Romans 1, starting in verse 28. Just speaking to parenting and how even in the realm of parenting, today's culture, today's world would tell you uh, you cannot do what God says. That's wrong. That's mean. That's not helping your child find their true self or whatever it might be, garbage they're trying to tell you. Opinion shared. But what's the basic issue here? Verse 28. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Those who choose not to acknowledge God, to rebel against and turn away from their Creator, are being turned over, and we're living that out today. Look at the culture around us, that restraint is being removed, and those who want to uh, flesh out their wickedness are just being turned over to a depraved mind. Those things that you read about in the news today that I don't even want to speak of from the pulpit, but must address uh, the whole uh, revolution, sexual revolution. Uh, it's really a devolution. It's devolving from God's plans. It's the depraved mind that calls right wrong and wrong right is rampant in our culture. To do those things which are not proper, really what it says is destructive. To do those things which are destructive. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents without understanding they're senseless they're untrustworthy they're faithless they're unloving they're heartless they're unmerciful they're ruthless and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death they not only do the same but they give hearty approval to those who practice them The news headlines are rolling in your mind as they are in mind, aren't they? Again, that last item in verse 30, disobedient to parents. Whenever your kids want to say, oh, it's not that bad, Dad, nobody was hurt, you disobeyed. And you are in the company of, boy, that's quite a list. And where does that disobedience come from? It comes from the heart of the unbeliever. It comes from that child, each and every child, as all are born in a sin nature. Heather's uncle, Dale, gave me a hard time when we were bringing kids into the world, 19, 17, and 15 years ago. What, didn't you think there was enough sin in the world? You had to have more kids? Yes, Uncle Dale. Godly man, I love him. But uh, your children 
have received your sin nature. Now, they are very precious, and we hold them tight, and they are dear to us. But they are, there is foolishness bound up in that heart. That's where this rebellion comes from, this sin nature that everyone has. The child must be made new by faith in Christ, hopefully early. But again, we commit them to the Lord. It's in His hands whether they become saved or not. Yet as long as they are in our home, they must abide by our standards. They'll have to conform to what we believe is right in our home is the idea. Now again, let's not pine for the good old days, but in years past, even unbelieving parents held to certain standards. They knew right from wrong. When you went to public school, you did what you were told. You actually got spanked if you didn't, even as young as I am compared to some of you. Uh, I remember a paddle being in the band room at Northeast High School. There was a paddle hanging up on the wall. Now, if you got spanked for doing things you shouldn't have or not doing what you were told, you got spanked at school, then they called your parents, and you got spanked when you got home for getting spanked at school. Anybody else's experience? It's all right, Lee, you can admit it. (laughs) Nowadays, it's a whole different world. You have to live with that. We need to... uh, not adjust and compromise, but we do need to live with that changing cultural around us. We understand there are certain biblical truths that we just cannot change. We cannot compromise. We must uphold certain standards in our homes. The world changes because the world is open to everything except God's way. The world exalts children's rights movements, as I mentioned earlier, children authority. They take the authority out of the home and away from the parents who seemingly gladly relinquish that authority to other authorities in man-made institutions. And where does all this rebellion lead? An interruption of God's ordained authority in the home, from the father to the mother to the children? Again, just look at the news. It leads to murdered unborn children. If they survive that, the children are groomed and trafficked by pedophiles. If they survive that, their healthy organs are mutilated under the Orwellian guise of affirming care. Where does all this rebellion of authority lead? Destruction. To do those things that are destructive. We have been turned over as a culture. Now, look at me. Eyes up, heads up. There is hope if you have succumbed to Satan's world system. Christ has sacrificed himself on the cross in the place that you and I deserve on your behalf and for your good. He has risen from the grave to provide eternal salvation for your soul and redemption of your physical body. I look forward to the day when I get a new physical body. You'll find forgiveness and acceptance and belonging as the world wants today. But you'll only find that in Christ when you come to Him broken and contrite, repenting of your sin, aiming to please Him in all areas of your life. And how do you please Him? Through submissive obedience, as we're studying even this morning, while trusting Him through all these difficulties of life with the hope of life eternal in His presence, never more to grieve or weep 
over sin. There is hope in Christ. Parents, again, you've chosen the best battle of all. To acquire a spouse and propagate children under the clear commands of Scripture, that is a battle against the own sin, your own sin in your own lives as you're sanctified, let alone against the world. Stand firm on the Word of God by becoming obedient to these clear principles and directives, even to the point of death if that's what it takes. Throw yourselves into church participation. Devote yourselves to prayer. Get the kid up early. Come early to church. Stay late to fellowship. And make sure you're learning from the Word of God, not from the world's drivel. You will not become a good parent by watching YouTube. You need to be here and in this book. May the Lord find each of us faithful at that Bema seat of Christ. And one more passage before we get back to Ephesians, if you're still in Romans. Paul wrote his last letter during his second Roman imprisonment. Come to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Paul writes exactly of June 25th, 2023, here in chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days, hard seasons, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers or blasphemers, disobedient to parents. There it is again, kids. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Yeah, avoid such men as these. This is the world in which we live today. We find ourselves in this constant battle. The world more and more has taken authority from parents and given it to whomever. But again, in our Christian homes, we must follow what God says and hold to that. We're still in a country where there's enough freedom for us to do that, but it is becoming more and more difficult. Do you notice again in the list, disobedient to parents, in this list of wickedness? This is the normal characteristic of unbelievers. How many children have to be taught to disobey? Not a one comes by natural. They are good at it, every one of us. It's built into the fallen nature of that child born into your home. That's why you want to start early with obedience, training, and discipline. Again, come back now to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, period. It's the right thing. Children, obey your parents. This is what you do when you are in the Lord. What about when the children aren't walking with the Lord? You can exercise some level of control when they're young, but soon and eventually, hopefully, they'll move out of your home. And when they're out of your control, so they'll establish their own home. But we'll find a lifelong command for children towards parents here in a minute. 
But even if they do not walk with the Lord, uh, give them all you can uh, in the Word of God. Ephesians 6, verse 2, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a purpose. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Both obedience and honor are evidence of children who are being submissive, being filled with the Spirit. It's one of the manifestations of those who are in the Lord. Now, most children, even those who are not in the Lord, again, can conform to the standards that you have in your home. They learn to do what their parents tell them. They do what their grandparents tell them. But here we have another lasting principle from the Old Testament as we look at verse 2. Though we are not under the Mosaic law, it does remain a tutor that points us to godliness in Christ. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, we read, So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Same thing repeated in both passages. Children, you are to honor your parents. Grown children, you are to honor your parents, which would mean that we obey them. We submit to them. We do what they say. What if the father is not a believer? It doesn't matter. Maybe he'll become a believer through the life of that obedient child. Honor your father and mother. That's what children are to do, regardless of the condition of the parents. The obligation and the responsibility doesn't change. You see that same principle even with the wife in 1 Peter 3. If the wife is a believer but the husband's not, the wife may, by her godly and proper conduct, win her husband over to Christ. Maybe, perhaps. Many times one parent is saved before the other. Sometimes the Lord uses the influence of the first parent to save the second. Or maybe not. Maybe some of the children are saved. There's no guarantee. We can't look at the Old Testament. So many different things to talk about where we see God being a father to Israel, but Israel obviously being disobedient. Israel was not obeying or not functioning as it ought to. Therefore, Israel came under the discipline of God. Likewise, parents, we're going to continue praying for our kids. We're going to discipline their kids even if and when the kids rebel. But while we're in the home, parents always have that authority. Again, if you're going to live in this home, you do what, my, do what I say according to my instruction. You're going to go to church, Sunday school, youth Bible study, whatever the church events are. This was even my upbringing. If the doors of the church were open, we were there. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Boys Brigade, Pioneer Girls, Awana, whatever was going on, if the doors were open, were there. Parents, don't fall into the black hole. Oh, it's so hard. I'm not getting any sleep. I'm going to say it more than once. You can rest in the rest home. Bring your children to church. Uh, come to church. Be a part of the fellowship. Parents, adjust your schedule to accommodate life around the church. There ought to be no compromise when it comes to church life. Lead your children by example. Be involved. Period. The children, they're not going to die if you choose church over any one of their other worldly distractions. Sports. Your own recreation. Lead by example. Especially when you're running late at work. Dad's coming home late from work. You can still make it. Let's go. Meet me there. When you have the sniffles, come on, guys, put your man cold away, bring your family to church. When you're tired from whatever other obligation the Lord has brought into your life, you can rest in the rest home if you make it there. Ephesians 6 continues, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This doesn't say that if your parents are believers or worthy of honor in your estimation, then you honor them. 
The submissive one doesn't have a say in whether or not the father or mother are worthy of honor. As we've seen in verse 4 in a minute, with the fathers, the command has nothing to do with the child's current salvation status or obedience level. Yet here, for the children, you honor your father and your mother by your obedience. And this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, some children die early, tragically. They may die before full adulthood. But the basic truth is there, that this is one way that God may bless those who honor their parents long life. The fifth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 12, is honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged. There are promises and blessings pronounced in the commandments, but that doesn't mean that they are realized in every situation. Now, I mentioned earlier, even as we age and we establish our own homes, we still have parents if they're still alive. This command still applies. We're still responsible and obligated to them. Remember, just jot down Matthew 15, verses 3 and following, and just listen to what Christ says. He answers the Pharisees and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. That was the Pharisaical rule. <laughs> Sorry, I've donated all my stuff to the, to the temple, to God. I can't help you. And by this, Christ says, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Now, things do change over time as we grow and age. Your first responsibility to your parents may now be shifted to your spouse, your home, your own children. But you still must be careful to check in on your parents. Do what you can to help, so on. Even if your parents are unbelievers, you still have that responsibility to see that they are cared for and provided for. Your responsibility is not dependent on your parents being believers. Still pray for them if they're unbelieving. Share the gospel with them as you have opportunity. Be careful. Uh, of a stopping at mere pharisaical lip service and the honoring of your parents. Do something about it. Take care of your parents. There's no exception provided in Leviticus 19, verse 3. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. There is no exception to every one. Ephesians 6, verse 4. We know the wife's responsibility that we saw in chapter 5, verses 22 and 24. And we know the husband's responsibility, verses 25 through 32. We've just seen the children's responsibility in verses 1 through 3, to be submissive to both parents. So what about the fathers then? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Very similar to what we read in Colossians 3. Again, the buck stops with you, fathers, dads. Whether you like it or not, it is your responsibility. You have no choice in the matter. If you are married and have children, if you've got kids, you have this responsibility. If the children are not obeying their mother, prepare yourself before arriving at home for those fateful words. Welcome home, dear. Eliana or Theron or Torsten is in our bedroom anticipating your arrival. It's happened, of course. 
develop the pattern such that it would be far better for that child to obey mom so that the child knows the dad is always on her side. Fathers, establish this pattern early. Again, start young by not provoking your children to anger and instead bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The command, children, obey your parents, does not give you as a father the freedom to run your own show. Just as wives be subject to your own husbands, does not give you husbands the freedom to do as you please in regards to your relationship with your wife. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church without regard to the wife's current level of godliness. The wife's submission doesn't have anything to do with the husband's current level of godliness. Again, so here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. One of the surest ways to provoke your children to anger is to abuse your authority. The godly headship that we've been looking at uh, in our first hour of the last few weeks. If you abuse your authority and say, well, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. I'm in charge. You do what I say, period. That's it. Now, you may get one or two opportunities to use that answer in the right way, but it had better be accompanied by, we can discuss the whys later. I just need you to do this now. Now, Don't run out into the street. But why? Clunk. You don't have time to discuss the whys. Just do as I say right now. Stop. There's immediate obedience. There's no counting to three. In one sense, what you say is what goes, but it's not the biblical balance. It's not the only thing. You aren't allowed to provoke your children to anger. You aren't allowed to stir them up. Even as Tim mentioned this morning, we are to provoke one another, but to good deeds, righteousness and good deeds, right? Not to anger. In Colossians 3.21, it was, fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I want to just encourage you, if you don't have this book and you're interested in the subject more, The Faithful Parent, Martha Peace and Stuart Scott, there's a chapter in there, chapter 8, that specifically addresses parents who provoke. And I uh, would just encourage you to get a copy of this book, to share it with others, if not refine even your own heart. And Part of this chapter is just read a few parts here. Although everyone is responsible for his or her own sin and nothing the parents do permanently determines the child's reaction, parents should want to make it easy as possible for the child to think and do the right thing. Just as Heather and I, Heather strives to make it easy for me to love her. I strive to make it easy for her to respect me. We as parents need to make it easy for our children to obey us. To do the right thing. So what are some parenting styles that provoke children to anger? And there's quite a list here, but we only have time to maybe read the first paragraph of each one. Listen. Be convicted. It's okay. It's a good thing. The proud parent. The proud parent probably takes first prize in the category of provoking children. They will not admit when they're wrong. A proud parent lives a hypocritical life. The message to the child is loud and clear. Do what I say not what I do. The despairing parent is one who feels sorry for himself. Often he or she plays vain regrets over and over in the mind. All is doom and gloom. Things are hopeless. It's always too late and there's no hope for recovery. Those around this kind of parent are often often asking, what's the matter? What's wrong now? The controlling or angry parent, proud and despairing parents are not the only ones who provoke their children 
the controlling or angry parent does as well. These parents are overly authoritarian. They use angry words and harsh, ugly tone of voice to bully their children into behaving a certain way. Often they lord it over their children instead of lovingly leading them. This type of parent does not forbear with people. Again, forbear simply means putting up with differences. Instead of controlling or being angry, the uh, parent has the view, it's my way or the highway. You want to exasperate your child? Be the angry, controlling parent. How about the parent who is the, uh, guess what the rules are today, parent? For the child, the rules and the consequences often change. There may be too many rules for anyone to keep up with. They can just be enforced or unenforced sporadically. Think about it this way. What would you do at work if the policies kept changing and they were only sporadically enforced? It would be exasperating even to try to please your boss. You'd most likely give up trying. Well, the same applies to a child. It's not wrong to have family standards, but there needs to be wisdom behind them, consistency and consideration for mercy in upholding those standards. If you do not operate in the area of ambiguity very well, work with someone. There are times when these standards need to be adjusted. Selfishness, laziness, weariness on the parent's part can lead to changing of the rules. But God says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. He encourages you as parents, do not grow weary of doing good. In due season you will reap if you do not give up. What about the exaggerating parent? Thinks and talks in terms of always, never, everyone, a million times. Instead of dealing with each individual matter separately, they lump everything at once into the conversation. The result often becomes something untrue. This provokes the child and distracts from the focus of what they've done wrong. What about the must-be-perfect parent? Promotes a standard that is impossible to meet. It's driven by the parent's own pride. It's ironic, though, because the parent himself cannot be perfect, so it becomes an instant hypocrite. The child's room may be as clean and neat as humanly possible, but the parent's heart is like, hearts are likely to either be puffed up in self-righteousness or provoked to despair because no matter what the child does, it's never good enough. There's a, t- a place for everything. Everything has a place. But can you give grace? These parents are like the Pharisees, tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on their kids' shoulders, but they won't even lift a finger to move them. The fear of what my child and others might think as a parent. Are you fearful of what your kids might think of you or what others might think of you? Paralyzed parents from making appropriate decisions. The parents' thoughts tend to be, if I do that, he won't love me. Or if I make him face the consequences of his sin, he'll never forgive me. Or what will people think of me and my parenting? Parents, it is your obligation in life to scar your children. It's okay. To have standards. Uh, They'll never forgive me. They will. They'll get over it eventually. They won't be scarred for life. But this whole idea, it's a self-serving and foolish way for a parent to think. The concern should be, what would achieve God's righteousness instead? Instead of, oh dear, what is my child going to think about me? Like Paul, they must learn to live not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. What about the submissive or easily manipulated parent? They encourage children to teach them sinfully persisting will get his own way because the parent will foolishly give in. The parent should be loving and compassionate, yet execute discipline when needed along with appropriate consequences. Encouragement I was given was let them fail in your home. 
It's okay. The consequences are much less until they move out. Why can't you be like your sibling, your brother, your sister? Children aren't the only ones who can manipulate parents. We do it too sometimes. They try to manipulate a child into better behavior or better grades or uh, being, why can't you be like your brother? We're confident there are times that Mary, the mother of Jesus, at least thought about saying to her children, why can't you be more like your brother? But there is probably not a child on the planet who, upon hearing, why can't you be like your brother, does not at least momentarily in his heart go the way of Cain in Cain and Abel. Let me live the life I've always wanted through you. Living vicariously through your children, pushing them into one ministry or sport or some achievement in life. These parents are living vicariously through their child, so they either ignore or are not interested in what the child might like. The hands off and let the child decide. Well, foolishness is bound up in their heart, so you can be sure they're going to make a foolish decision. You want to exasperate and provoke your children to anger? Let them make the decisions. What about the tradition or culture-driven parent? Uh, we do it because it's tradition's sake. Well, some traditions are fine and can be adjusted over time. But do not provoke your child to anger in that way. What about the omniscient or presumptuous parent going alongside with the proud parent, thinks that he knows what his children are thinking? These parents judge motives and assume the worst. They do not bother to gather data to defend their position, which makes them foolish. Since Scripture warns us, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame. This is confusing to a child and greatly exasperating. If love is there, it's a secret parent. I'm going to withhold love. This may be shocking to some of you, but it is possible for parents not to love their children. We call this person the, if love is there, it is a secret parent. When parents are selfish, impatient, unkind, self-absorbed, cold, aloof, They really may only love themselves. Some parents do not show affection to their children. Neither do they tell their children that they love them. Saying, I love you is a start, but showing it by your deeds is proof. The Apostle John describes biblical love in one of his letters, Little children, believers, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We are to love our neighbors, and our children are among our closest neighbors. What about the preoccupied with so many things, parents? We'll end with this one. Uh, Overly busy. I'm just too busy with whatever it is. I can't. I don't have time for you. When Martha became a Christian, she was uh, teaching nursing full-time. Her children would come home from school full of excitement about their day, but by the time Martha got home, they had forgotten most of what happened and were busy doing other things. It was only after she quit her job to be home with her family that she realized what she had missed. Just speaking about the mother. Uh, Martha Peace, writing that part here in this book. Do not provoke your children to anger. It can be done. And when you do, fathers, this command specifically to you, repent and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Just some examples in Scripture quickly as, we, as I'm going way too long. 1 Samuel 3.13, remember Eli? He was a godly man, but he was not a consistently godly father. What did God tell Samuel? He's going to be removed. Judgment is at hand. Eli couldn't change his son's heart, but he could have rebuked them, but he did not. They might still have continued on their way after their rebuke, as Israel did with God as their father, but Eli didn't fulfill his responsibility 
with what God gives uh, and could have given his sons another chance to work in their lives. Uh, It's always the case that God can work, but you have a responsibility to warn. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. There's a chance your child won't listen. You may discipline. Be as consistent as you can, but don't give up. He may be saved at 30, 60, should the Lord's patience continue. We don't know. Just know your responsibility. Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The idea of spanking is very much in the thumbs down of the world these days. But again, there is a godly discipline that must be uh, meted out according to the Word of God, explaining why it's necessary that you must be disciplined, child, that you must be spanked. It's frowned upon by the world, but he who withholds his son, withholds the rod, hates his son. So reason with him, speak to him. But when there are times he won't do as he's told, the rod, the belt, the paddle, the spoon, whatever is appropriate and available, fathers, discipline them diligently. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is hope. Do not desire his death. If you are going to be lazy and, un- and let your child live an undisciplined life, you're asking for his death. You're knocking. Uh, you're really giving the Grim Ripper, Grim Reaper an invitation to dinner. Uh, even when your child's grown and still leading undisciplined lives, you can still explain to them the truth of God and, and that now as adults, they're accountable to God as their behavior. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is not a guarantee of your child's salvation, but give them an abundance of truth so as to make it harder for them to suppress it. Romans 1, right? Give them so much truth, it's so hard to suppress. They cannot unknow what has been learned. The Lord can use their conscience, conscience to bother them for a lifetime. Proverbs 22:15. foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Again, the purposeful placement of negative reinforcement starts early, even at the diaper stage, when the rotten, sinning fruit of your loins is rebelling against the cleanup. It was very revealing when our kids received their first pop on the bottom or thigh, that they quickly learn to obey and submit to the changing table routine. Certain things just are not acceptable. They will not be tolerated. And the sooner you start and they realize that mom and dad mean business, the better off everyone will be. And progressively, there will be a time when the rod of discipline will be necessary, and that must be applied. You must set and follow these standards in your home as long as your children live there, and they must be accountable to those standards. Proverbs 23, 13, do not hold back discipline from your son, from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. He might scream bloody murder. I know I did. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is not an understatement. Make it sound worse than it is. Maybe they'll stop. I'm getting really late. I know it. We got to raise our children with discipline. Parents, explain your children why discipline is necessary. And in that speech, let your speech be filled with grace and truth. Early on, explain to your kids why without expecting that full comprehension. Those early years give you opportunity to refine your speech, to be more accurate even as they grow up, and to work through the whys and the reasons. Proverbs 29:15, the rod of reproof gives wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. 
Proverbs 29, 17, correct your son and he will give you comfort and be delight to your soul. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. In closing, I just want to remind each one of us that Paul's letter to Ephesus, as all the word is, is God-breathed. It's all under the direction and control of the Spirit of God. In chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit is this basic command, followed by the evidence of that filling in the appropriate use of our words, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. How can you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs if you don't get together, if you're not here, if you're not part of the church? We're not to forsake the assembly. Giving thanks, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to husbands, husbands to Christ, modeling the relationship between Christ and the church, encouraging the children's submission. So again, all this stems from verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Everyone has their own responsibility. Parents, you have zero good reasons, only myriad poor excuses for disobedience to God's Word. You are responsible to God, regardless of how well anyone else does or does not obey God's word. So what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? What will be your response to God's word in this area of life of parenting? Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children, but instead train and discipline them under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, Thank you for the simplicity of your word, for its beauty, for its clarity. Thank you for instructing us as mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, children, workers, employees, being reminded that we need to be careful how we walk biblically. Father, I pray for the parents who are here and who may hear this message later on that we have in our body, that their exercise of discipline in their home, that it would be according to your word, that it would be fruitful that it would be consistent, that it would be honoring to you. Father, we desire that the children might grow up to know you, that we recognize that their salvation is in your hands. While you reign as sovereign over all creation, we remain responsible. So, Lord, help us, each one, individually, so that we might, by your grace, handle each of our responsibilities carefully so that we're found faithful to your scriptures. I pray for the children, the young people among us, that they might see us as parents, as adults, in our biblical conduct, that they would understand, even in their rebellion, that these standards for life, they are your standards, exactly what our Creator has given to us, for our good and for your glory. And so, Father, we commit our family relationships to you, in Jesus' name, amen.